Hi everyone, I'm Dee. And I'm Alex. And together we're DNA. And you're listening to the DNA of Mindful Relationships podcast. Have you ever wondered why some people are very clingy in relationships and others are more distant and independent? Hmm, well, I always thought it was in some people's personality, but that's just a guess. Let's find out for sure in this episode titled Attachments Included. In this episode, Alex, we're talking about attachment styles. Now, this is a topic that a lot of people, I guess, wouldn't know much about. I don't know if you've come across the term attachment styles or attachment theory before. No, the only attachment styles I know about are curlers and uh, straighteners. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. What sort I, of attachment styles are I we talking about? I did tell him about? not to do that joke before. So, attachment styles are about patterns of intimacy that begin in our earliest years between um, you and your caregivers, your your um, parents. Or are we talking others. about breastfeeding that far back? Uh, yeah, even that's real attachment, back. isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so, you can imagine that attachment styles are developed when. Um, as a baby, imagine yourself as a baby. <laughs> it's not too difficult to do. <laughs> Sometimes you act like one. Um, but imagine way back as a baby, you were crying out for because you were hungry or wet or needed comfort, needed attention. And your your parents responded to you pretty quickly. And they did that by picking you up, comforting you. And um, making sure that whatever your needs were, that they were met. So if you were hungry, you were fed. If you were, you know, thirsty, you were given a drink. It sounds like the perfect life. What's the problem? So that's how we develop our attachment styles. Now, um, that sounds normal and that's what we would expect, what I've just described. Um, But there are two main types of attachment styles. So attachment theory... Um, states there are two main types. The first one is a secure attachment and the second one is an insecure attachment. So the secure attachment is pretty much what I just described. So um, the secure uh, attachment style would be growing up with the belief that if something is not right, as, as as a baby and as a child, that you can reach out to your caregivers and pretty much you will get a response you know, fairly soon after. Mm-hmm. And so your caregivers would come in and comfort you or feed you or do whatever is needed to reassure you that everything is okay. Mm. So that creates a secure attachment style. I can already see a red flag with this attachment style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can see that. And the opposite, I'm going to take a stab here, would yep. be something like controlled crying where the baby's left to cry and settle themselves. Would that is that... Um, well, partly, I guess you've got to look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So controlled crying is about um, giving the baby a chance to self-soothe, mm-hmm. to um, get themselves to, off to sleep without needing, you know, their caregiver to comfort them. But in the larger picture, in the larger scheme of things, 
if there are other times when the caregivers are neglecting the baby, that can turn into a, a very insecure attachment style. Give is me an example. Is that what you were referring to? Yeah, like, yeah. So if one extreme is every time you make a request, your caregiver fulfills that request, that's what you're calling a secure attachment. And the opposite yes. would be where you make a request and it goes unfulfilled. Essentially, yes. Mm. Yeah, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. Ooh, okay. And that's why I wanted to talk a bit more about it today and also how it impacts on us as adults in our relationships. That's the really interesting part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are not set in concrete. These are just ways of understanding people and how and why they've developed the patterns that they've developed in terms of being in an intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Sure. So, um, <clears throat> within the insecure attachment style, there are um, three other types of insecure attachment. And the first one is anxious, preoccupied. The second one is dismissive avoidant. And the third one is fearful avoidant. Now, that sounds all really complicated and a lot of jargon. But um, what I want to bring up today is actually a simplified version of attachment theory. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a a fantastic um, uh, therapist by the name Stan Tatkin. And he's written um, a book about attachment theory, but he uses a metaphor of waves, islands, and anchors. Mm. So you can imagine, you know, it's about the sea, there's an island, and there's an anchor. It's all related to the sea. Mm -hmm. Feeling very nautical. So you've got that metaphor, you've got that image, (laughs) the imagery. I've met a lot of anchors in my time. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, but the anchor in this metaphor is about being having a secure attachment style. All right. Well, not so and much And I want to just go over the secure attachment style and then we'll move on to the more insecure ones. Yep. Um, so about half of all people are anchors. So their way of um, being intimate with people is really quite stable. And they were raised at least by one parent who put the child's needs first mm-hmm. before their own. Um, and anchors, they're appropriately soothed by their caregiver, comforted as children, um, and they're also encouraged to be independent but also to cooperate with other family members. So there was a nice balance of independence but also cooperation and dependence. And they're essentially what we might call the Brady Bunch kids. Mm -hmm. So I grew up watching the Brady Bunch and watching in awe of this family that had a really nice relationship with each other and they could talk about anything and they felt safe and secure and they're all anchors. Masha, Masha, Masha. Exactly. So that's the anchor um, uh, style of attachment. Now, the other one that he talks about is the island So the island, as you can imagine, I mean, the metaphor of, you know, being an island, it's out there on its own. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what type of attachment style I'm talking about here. And this is more insecure, dismissive, avoidant. So about 25% of the population are islands or have this style of attachment. And uh, islands often had parents who... Um, stressed or or focused on performance, intelligence, talents or appearance and they discourage dependency. 
So they were more focused on what the child could do and achieve um, rather than who they were as a person. At least one parent was probably emotionally uh, distant uh, and they may have used money to, to buy their, their child's love. Um, because the, the island's parents were mo- more focused on themselves than their child, the island learns to rely on him or herself and that's how they become an island. And um, they need a great deal of space in relationships. And without that space, islands feel trapped and controlled by their partners. Mm. So you might know, um, the listeners out there might know of someone, they might be an island themselves, but they know might know someone who behaves in that way as well in relationships. Mm. So a little bit more about the island, Alex. This is good. Are we learning something? Yes. Well, I'm <laughs> like feeling I like I need a holiday right now. <laughs> <laughs> On an island? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so a few more things about the island or the insecure attachment style. Um, so once, uh, sometimes you don't notice these behaviours until there is a commitment and a proper relationship is formed. Um, but once committed, islands tend to distance themselves from their partner. Mm. And now this is not done out of um, any sort of negativity and it's it's almost done in an unconscious way. Um, so is this is this towards their own self-reliance? They don't want to become too dependent on the other. Well, they they've grown up with the the um, the pattern of uh, independence. And that's what's familiar to them. So to have the opposite, they often feel too um, engulfed. They often feel overwhelmed. They feel like, you know, something's going to take over their lives. And so giving the the island um, space is really, really important. Mm, so this is almost like a, a, a way of repelling initially and then finding wherever that middle ground might be yeah. for the two of them to establish that happy connection yeah and look often they can tolerate more closeness during the courtship period Mm. and because it's short-lived um but when when it switches from courtship to a relationship it becomes more like family like deep family like close family and they revert back to their old patterns of being distant um so the closeness the constant closeness in a relationship can create stress for for an island um, and that can create problems within a relationship, of course. So how, how do you recognize this, like moving forward to the, the future as adults? How do you recognize, particularly in the dating process, whether someone is an island or an anchor or a wave? How do you, how do you work this out? Yeah, well, one of the things you could do is ask, if you're dating someone or getting to know someone, ask them... Um, how they like to, you know, in a relationship, how they like to spend time with their partner. And if they talk about uh, doing lots of things together, spending weekends together, um, you know, doing activities together, then generally they're, they're probably not an island. Yeah. And um, I'll talk about the other insecure style in a moment. But um, if they mention things like, look, I, I love doing things with my partner, but I also like my own free time and space, and they'll often talk about space and um, 
their own activities and the things that they love to do to refuel, to re-energize themselves, then that might be a little bit of an indicator mm. that that's their pattern. And of- are, these, are these patterns, if I think back to the drama triangle that we mm-hmm. talked about previously, are these particular attachment styles, are any of them negative or are they just different? They're just different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be aware, I guess the aim is to to um, be more secure, obviously, in a relationship. So uh, problems can occur when you've got um, two different types of insecure attachment styles uh, in a relationship. So and I can I'll, imagine two islands dating might be quite happy to be together but do their own thing. But an island and an anchor might have to negotiate how they actually spend their time. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And so the aim is really to help um, the insecure attachment styles remember that they're insecure because they're not sure about whether they're going to get their needs met. So if um, if you're in a relationship with someone who has an insecure style like an island, and we haven't talked about the wave, so I want to refer to the wave as well, um, then you, it's about doing things, um, understanding that that's a style of interacting, but not to take it personally. Mm. And there are ways that you can, there are things that you can do to help them move more towards a more secure form of attachment. So are we saying an insecure form of attachment is a negative thing? Well, look, it's, um, people get along. Like, like you described, I mean, two, two islands could get along quite well, um, but they can also lead very separate lives. Mm. So that's one extreme. And it may or may, may not be fulfilling for two people that are living parallel lives almost with the, under the one roof. But it would be comfortable though, wouldn't it? Because they're both living the way that their attachment style dictates that they would feel most comfortable. Possibly. The thing is that most people want to feel secure and, um, you know, want, want to know that their, their partner can meet their needs and they can meet their partner's needs. And when problems arise in the relationship, you know, it's often because the islands are, are too distant. So how does an island feel secure in a relationship? Because ah. if they're with another island, then they're probably pretty aloof with each other, I, I would guess. But if they're with... An anchor, they might feel a bit smothered. Possibly, yeah, exactly. So the key with an island is to recognise that they do need space and not to take it personally, like it's a, it's a, um, I guess a negative thing about your relationship. So it's because nothing it's personal. Not, it's just yeah, a pattern. It's just a pattern, and it's a need that they have. And the other thing with the island is to, um, you know, reassure them that it's okay to take space. And then come back to the relationship. Mm-hmm. And taking space may not be, I'm not talking about leaving the relationship. Taking space might be just, um, you know, going off for a few hours, doing their own thing and then coming back. Mm-hmm. The other thing with, a, with an island partner or an island person that you're in a relationship with um, might be helpful is, you know, to, to have intermittent times of intimacy, Oh. So having, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. <laughs> yeah, so having like really intense periods or long periods of time um, can be too overwhelming for an island. So, for example, like um, 
an island would appreciate someone who, you know, gives them a hug and a kiss and then says, off you go. Right. Does that make sense? I, Seems that, yeah, rather than clings to them and hangs yeah. on to them because they, they're going to feel overwhelmed again. And then I guess they look forward to seeing you next time when they know they, they can release you again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another thing, an island um, often uh, may, once they're in a committed relationship, the sex drive might uh, lessen um, because initially, like we're talking about the courtship stage, there's, you know, the ability to um, to really attach to somebody and spend time with them and um, and express themselves sexually. But once their part, they perceive their partner as being like family, then it can bring up all the, um, you know, the issues of their um, attachment styles and then they start distancing themselves sexually as well. Mm. However, these things can be sorted out through communication, talking about it and, again, not taking it personally. So we're talking about relationships where you know that person uh, loves you and cares about you, but there's just a pattern of behaving or, or pattern of uh, interacting that's not helping the relationship mm. overall. Okay. So what about the wave? Tell me about the wave. Okay. Let's talk about the wave. So the wave, um, you can imagine, you know, the wave in the sea. I'm getting seasick <laughs> Going already. towards the island. And it's sort of up and down, up and down. Yeah. So it's another form of insecure attachment, but um, it, it's often called insecure and preoccupied. Uh, waves often had parents who were emotionally inconsistent. Mm. It's a bit like the wave going up and down. Um, so often the wave's parents were here one minute and gone the next. So emotionally um, either fully intensely involved or fully withdrawn. Is this just emotionally or also physically both. present? And, and Yeah, both. It could be both. Um, and waves often grew, uh, developed a fear of abandonment. Um, above all else. So there's an intense fear of being abandoned. They make up about 25% of the population as well, mm. similar to the island. Um, and when waves are in relationships, they, they do come across as very needy uh, and they require constant validation and reassurance that their partner's not planning on going anywhere. Mm. So you can imagine – oh, and one other thing, sorry. The children of addicts are often waves because they um, – parents or caregivers who were have an addiction are often uh, consumed by their own problems and issues. Yeah. Um, so then they're and, present and then they're not present. Yeah, and this often creates codependency. So that's why addiction within generations of families is really, really destructive because it creates another form of – addiction, if you like, in the, the children, um, and that's a codependency. So, Dee, how does a wave, how do you deal with a wave uh, if you're in a relationship with a wave person? Well, a wave, because they feel quite insecure and have a fear of abandonment, even if you're just running an errand, <clears throat> you need to leave the house to go and get something or um, – or, you know, doing your shopping, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But the way to, to manage their insecurity and their fears is to give them a lot of reassurance about where you're going, what time you'll be back. And also, you know, it's helpful to focus on them for a little while before you leave. Hang on. So, <laughs> high wave person, I'm just going to check the letterbox. 
I'll be back in one minute. You'll be fine and I'll see you soon. And I still love you. Yes, yes. That's that's ultimately what I'm saying, but, you know, that that's an exaggerated version of it. I'm sure the letterbox situation would be okay. But if you're randomly going, oh, I've just got to go out, and then, you know, most partners will be fine, you know, when are you coming back later? I guess a wave person needs a little bit more reassurance than that and, you know, may, maybe a kiss and a cuddle and a bit more explanation than what your average person might need. That's all. Mm, okay. So some people might think, Alex, that it's a bit like um, pandering to the wave person. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going out of your way almost to feed this pattern rather than actually, you know, that, that same energy could be diverted into the relationship in a positive way, but what you're doing is actually enabling the pattern to continue because you are giving it what it needs when it's actually not a healthy pattern if we look at the the 50% as an anchor and the two lots of 25%, which we're saying are insecure patterns. Why do we keep enabling or feeding those patterns? Yeah, that's a really valid question. But remember, these attachment styles are behaviors that people are not doing consciously or on purpose. It's a very subconscious um, way of behaving. So by uh, managing them in a slightly different way and building their security, then you're actually helping them to move more towards the anchor style, the secure style. So it's not such a bad thing because um, you can imagine, I mean, we're talking about adults here in relationships, but imagine that adult has a, has a, has a little 18-month-old um, inside that's feeling really, really scared. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they're feeling really, really scared and insecure and they do need extra attention for that. And sometimes because they're not self-aware necessarily, it's hard for them to provide that for themselves. They can learn to provide that through therapy. They can learn to provide that through, uh, you know, getting some help and, and exploring and, and really digging deep as to why the, this neediness developed. Um, and that's what a good psychotherapist or psychologist could do with that person. But not everybody seeks that type of professional help uh, until it becomes really, really obvious in their lives and, you know, they might be... Um, going through lots of relationships, separation, divorce, separation, divorce, and then at some stage go, what am I doing wrong? What, what, you know, what am I doing that's affecting you know, my relationships? But in most cases, most people don't seek help. And that's why we thought about creating this podcast. So we could reach out to some of those people that may not seek professional help, but might need you know, some ideas and tips to just adjust their relationships so that it actually moves in a more positive direction. Mm. So it's, it's interesting because now you've got, as we've talked about, the anchor, the wave and the island. And there can be multiple combinations of these relationships. So an island and an island or an island and a wave. And mm. I guess all the dynamics between each of these um, permutations, I guess, is quite different in how they need to be managed. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, ideally, two anchors together make the ideal relationship because they're both secure people. They both can balance out being independent and away from each other, but still know they're in a secure relationship. That is the ideal. And that's, I guess, the goal if you're talking about making changes. But there are examples of many uh, island and wave relationships or island and island relationships or wave and wave relationships that survive quite well. And um, not not necessarily because it's surviving in a functional way, but, you know, they just get into habits of, of being with each other. And it may not be in the, you know, the most positive way, but, you know, they do function quite well. Can you actually have really highly successful relationships that are, you know, a wave and an island or an island and an island? Can they be just as successful as two anchors? They, look, they can be as long as the two uh, people in that relationship come to terms with the fact that that's how their partner is. So that's what acceptance is about. If you accept that your partner needs a lot of hugs and kisses and eye contact and reassurance and information about where you're going, then you provide that. You you accept that, you provide that, then that's just satisfying enough. Mm. Or you might just accept the fact that your partner needs a lot of space and distance and you don't question that, you allow that, you, you're fine with that and they'll come to you when they're ready. And that can work just as well. But it's all, we're also talking about having a mindful relationship and being aware and present and um, not just for yourself but for the relationship. So it actually offers an opportunity to make some changes that just not only benefit the two people in the relationship but benefit the relationship. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting from the point of view of not only understanding which of those categories or attachment styles your partner falls into, but also identifying within yourself, which one are you? Because that also gives you answers to explain some of your own behavior that might have just been unconscious for yourself. So let me ask you this, Alex. Uh Uh-oh, I knew this was coming. (laughs) Which one are you? Which one am I? Um, I would say I'm an anchor. Because uh, I do enjoy a, a nice blend of being together, but also doing my own thing. Um, yeah, I think it's comfortable from that point of view. And I I think we've discussed that also, that we get along well because we both enjoy time together, but we also enjoy our time apart doing our own things as well. Mm. And if I was disclosing <laughs> what uh, w- style I have... Yes. Yes. I would say you'd be an anchor too. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe, can I say this? An anchor with more island tendency. <laughs> is that, is that a thing? I think that's a good description. <laughs> I think I uh, generally have uh, grown up with an island tendency and have been uh, really left to fend for myself. Not, not, in a, not in an awful way, but I have had to be a bit more independent. So uh, requiring space and distance and independence was really important to me. But I think I've developed more anchor tendencies as I've in later years, getting older and, and wiser, I hope. 
and and I think that's what makes it easier to relate in a relationship because as you develop more of the balanced uh, way of attaching to your partner, it makes the relationship more enjoyable. Mm. And I think probably that's what we're talking about. It's almost 50 shades of attachment. It's I don't think it's just three yes. hard and fast rules. I think there's obviously shades and, and blends of those things. Yeah, and it's like a spectrum. And I think uh, it would be hard to be a good therapist or psychologist if you didn't have more of a secure attachment style like the anchor because therapy is about building a relationship with um, the person in the room. Mm. So if if you ha- if you were in a therapy session as a client with someone who was a wave you might feel very insecure around them because you may not know whether they like you or not or whether you know um they might be really warm one time and distant another time and that that's that's really um scary and and not very professional mm. as well and Dee, can i ask you these attachment styles can they exist beyond intimate relationships so do you have different attachment styles in friendships or in work situations yeah and i think if you if you um do adopt one of these attachment styles or predominantly have one style then it tends to permeate through work relationships and friendships and family relationships so it's it just becomes a way of being but as you become more self-aware and mindful of your current situation, you can make adjustments accordingly. Can, can, you, can you be one in an intimate relationship but a different style in a work relationship? Like could you be an island in one but yet uh, a Klingon <laughs> in another one? <laughs> the Klingon wave? Yeah. Uh, look, that's an interesting question. I, I think I, – I don't think so. I think you, you predominantly adopt one style because it, it's based on the history of attachment in your childhood. So it's really hard to shift that from one setting to another setting. So it's not contextual, if right. that makes so sense. So the pattern, the pattern it's more carry about over into your, your workspace as well. Yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. And, um, yeah, so, look, I, I think it's just – it's an interesting way of looking at relationships and, and adult relationships in particular and their patterns of behaving within an intimate relationship – um, it's not something people think about very often and I thought it would be interesting just to bring it to people's attention. Mm. And I think also in and of itself, these attachment styles don't determine a successful or non-successful relationship. They lay, I guess, the the groundwork for how you relate to each other and how you communicate. But there are so many other factors mm. uh, that we've discussed previously and will continue to discuss that also have a huge impact on relationships too. Yeah, look, they're basically explanations as to why, like, you know, we said at the beginning of, of this episode, why people might distance themselves and why people might be a bit clingy and needy. Mm. So they, they they create a – it's an interesting theory and explanation. Um, and I like the, the, the wave island anchor metaphor because it helps me – think about it in a very kind of straightforward simplistic form Mm. all right awesome well that's been most enlightening and i feel very tropical right now (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's wrap it up there we will see you guys next time unless of course you can't wait to uh 
to listen to us again and you're feeling a bit clingy, then you can, of course, go and listen to one of our other podcasts that we have. All you uh, waves out there. All you waves, yes. Uh, but until next time, we'll catch you then. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Now, if you like this episode, you can find all our other episodes either on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Better still, subscribe and make sure you're the first to know when a new episode drops. You can also check us out at www.thednaofmindfulrelationships.com or on our Facebook page. We look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, stay mindful. Stay mindful.